says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet. Uh, we are having a late start this week with uh, both myself and Sixties being busy, but this is the preview edition with a special guest at the end as well. And joining me as always is Sixties. Been a busy week, mate. How are you holding up at the end of it? Mate, I think as well as can be expected. And the beautiful thing about a new week or a new round of football is that it's another chance to turn things around and get back on track. So... We're going to be looking towards that this weekend with the Eels. Yeah, turning it around is definitely the theme for both us and the team this week. Uh, no doubt after a pretty horrible month of football, they want to turn that around and reignite their campaign towards the finals with uh, just three weeks left, or three rounds of regulation football until sudden death footy. And to do that, the Eels are travelling, well not really travelling, they would have been uh, at home at uh, Bank West for this one, but they are travelling from their hotel to Seabus Super Stadium, ostensibly their home on the Gold Coast COVID hub, and they're taking on the Gold, uh, Gold Coast and North Queensland Cowboys at 7.35pm on Saturday night, so it's another primetime slot for the Parramatta Reels. And they're taking on a Cowboys team that, for as much as Parramatta's had their woes in the last month, I think the Cowboys are on a nine-game skid, I believe. So this it's the... Worse in the NRL, and I must have to have a quick chat to back this up and have an opportunity. But I'm pretty certain they're on a nine-game skid entering this game. So absolutely horrendous stuff up there in the tropics. Uh, but the way Parramatta are playing at the moment, it's going to be a pretty even contest on paper. But the Cowboys look like this 60s with Valentine Holmes at fullback. They've got Kyle Felt and Ben Hampton on the flanks. Uh, interesting centre pairing of Dejan Arcee and Jake Granville uh, with Scott Drinkwater and Tom Dearden in the halves. Front row of Francis Molo and Jordan McLean, who I believe is also their captain, uh, bookending Reese Robson at dummy half. Ben Condon, Helam Lukey, and Cohen Hess are their back rowers. Ruben Cotter, Jeremiah Nanai, Mitchell Dunn, and Tom Gilbert are on the bench. Uh, their extended options include Jason Tamalolo, who has somehow broken his hand again for the third time this year. Uh, pretty in, uh, fascinating run of injuries there. And you've got uh, Hamasau, Tabuai Fado, Peter Holler, and Latia Mosadreki. So some big names on that extended bench there between uh, Tamalolo and the Hammer. And then for the Eels, uh, there's a number of changes this week. Clinton Gufferson is captain and fullback. Mike Acebo and Hayes Dunster on the wings. Dunster record for Michael Olford, who had that horrid outing against Manly. In the centres, the young gun Will Penasini is back, replacing Tom Opachik. And he'll partner Wanga Blake in the centres. Halves pairing unchanged. Dylan Brown and Mitchell Moses. Although it should be mentioned, they did swap sides at times last week against Manly, so that's something to monitor in this game. In the front row, Isai Papali'i and Junior Paulo are holding down the ruck with Joey Lusick at dummy half. Sean Lane, Murata Niakore and Nathan Brown in the back row. Niakore moving from the bench to that starting edge role, which will hopefully, hopefully uh, galvanise his return to form. On the bench, Will Smith, Bryce Cartwright, Oregon Kafusi returning from the concussion protocols. Big Makassi Makatoa retaining his spot deservedly on the bench. Extended options for the Eels include Ray Stone, Keegan Hipgrave, Sean Russell and Jake Arthur. Yeah, so this is a big one, mate. We talked about turning things around. We talked about essentially making a fresh start here. You got the Cowboys, and you got the Storm and the Panthers. So uh, this is—it's not a gimme. 
because the way we're playing right now means there's no gimmies in our run, even if we're playing the Bulldogs and, uh, you know, the West Tigers teams that we've traditionally beaten and, and, you know, don't always play great football. But this is the one you need to get. You need to get something out of this game. You need to reignite. You need to kickstart. You need to catalyst. Like all those, you know, big fancy words for, you know, saying that you turn things around. This is that game. I heard it described last night on uh, the Matty John show by uh, one of the Burgess brothers that this was potentially a lose-lose scenario for the Eels, that if they win the game comfortably, the people will just say, well, it's the Cowboys, that means nothing. Whereas if they lose, it would be even greater knives out for the Eels and bigger questions and and all all over the media about how they lost to the North Queensland Cowboys. If you go in with that mindset, and my greatest concern is whether there are players that are feeling that, because if you've got a player from who's currently involved in the game, has been involved in the game, albeit from another club, but if if a if a player's mindset is capable of thinking of a lose lose situation with a game, that concerns me. Um, it probably shouldn't have. It doesn't have really have anything to do with Parramatta players as such, but it shows that there can be a mentality out there that there's not a great deal that can be achieved from this game. Whereas I take the opposite point of view: wins. If a win is there, a win is there, and a win can mean so much to a team, where it can just set about the mindset completely differently. I've had people say to me. After ugly wins, oh, the team has no right to be celebrating in the sheds after that win. I say that's that's complete bullshit because if you are, and excuse my French there, but if you can't celebrate a win and if you can't take something out of a win, well, what's the point in in professional sport? What's the point in team sport? I know there's plenty to gain out, out of team sports for young people and, and what have you, but in a, in a Team yeah, sport, and, like and funnily, this. funnily enough, that's actually a theme of our discussion later in the show when we have a guest on. In, in the fact that winning isn't everything as a junior, but when you're when you're paid as an elite professional, you got to be able to celebrate the wins. Like that. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It's part of that journey. With uh, we want the eels to start to look like they are a team and to start to look like out on the field they're enjoying each other's company. We see plenty of footage of them enjoying each other's company off the field. But something's not clicking out there, and if uh, and a win, no matter how it's achieved, and we hope that it's achieved with great teamwork and and seeing all the positives out there. But a win can be that stepping stone towards believing in not just yourself but each other as a team. So I'm I'm all for a win in any way, shape, or form this week and, and a month-long drought like we've had should really fortify that sentiment the fact that any win is a good win uh, at, at the best of times or, and you know in the case of the worst of times we're at right now any win is something to build off yeah and we're not jumping the gun here and saying that the eels are going to get a win this week but if i'm looking at this the two lineups seriously and i don't say this with any disrespect to the North Queensland Cowboys, but I can have a look at the team that they're getting out there and I can see a reason in that team list that they are in a bit of a form slump, to put it mildly. At the start of the year, if someone had said to 
Todd Payton, you will be selecting Jake Granville at centre. It'd be awesome. what, what, you're, what you're smoking. Like the, there is no way that is a any sort of contingency plan that you would have entering the 2021 season. And yet here we are with injuries, obviously crippling, and they also let go of. Uh, he's at the Titans now, the former West Tiger, uh, Eason Masters. So obviously the centre depth a little bit shallow right now, but. Yeah, injuries contributing heavily to that, and you got Jake Garanville, who has also played fullback for them recently. So yeah, and acquitted himself fa- fairly well there. And I'm I'm not in any way disrespecting Jake Granville, just as I didn't want to disrespect the Cowboys with this. But when it comes down to experience in a position at a professional level, he is he isn't he, he isn't a backline player at the professional NRL level, and he's been required to play fullback, where, yes, I know he played a bit of that at the Queensland Cup level, but now he's playing centre. I, I, the centre position, in terms of reading defence, is so critical out wide, and I can't believe that you could go into a game with a bloke who's spent his entire career just about as dummy half and all of a sudden he's playing centre. So... Will he be playing left or right? Yeah, I'm not sure. If I recall way back earlier in the year, I thought Arcee played down the left when he played, which would put him on the right matchup against Wonga, but then I saw some dialogue suggesting that Will Penaseni might be up against Jake, so I'm not 100% on that one. But either way... Regardless of he's up against Wanga or he's up against Will, you got to give either centre uh, in that matchup the opportunities to attack him. Early ball, uh, get him you know downhill, get him you know on the front foot, and having to make you know force Granville into suboptimal defensive uh, decision making situations. Yeah, and then then we go out and we've got Ben Hampton on the wing, who is probably more renowned for playing in around the halves than being a winger. That, that, that was originally where he was at, but I think the Cowboys have... He's really been thrown into that ultra-utility back role for them for a while now, and he's played a lot of wing and centre. So he's probably a little bit more familiar with his role than uh, Jake Granville would be. Yes, but it's we're still talking about people who are in makeshift roles, aren't we? When We're talking about the lineup that the Eels are facing this week. So all I'll say, what I want to say in that regard anyway, without without digging too deep into looking as if we are um, putting down the value of their opponents, is that if the Eels team of earlier this season were running out against that particular Cowboys lineup, we would be talking in this preview about what sort of scoreline it might be. Well, we saw and a, I think a, a Moses-less... The same way. There was a Moses-less, which is an interesting word, uh, Parramatta last year put 40 on the Cowboys. So yeah. we, we know that, you know, in the head-to-head that if these two teams are playing their respective, you know, sort of normal brands of football, that the Eels should be definitely ahead here. But it's a matter of how much is this slump, how much is this funk still inside Parramatta's head. And that's really going to define this contest. Well, the interesting thing will be the respective mindsets because if the Cowboys who are on that nine-game losing streak as you were talking about before, if their mindset is 
this is our big chance to end this run of outs against if the Eels mindset is that this is a lose-lose situation and we're, um, and they feel the pressure that they have to win it, then I think the scoreline gets closer. Yeah, that's fair. That, that is, com- I mean, based on what we've seen, that's completely reasonable. So, I mean, this, this is why this game is so fascinating because the expectation is heaped upon the Eels to win in spite of their struggles. And which is why you, you sort of see Burgess come out with that concept of a, of a lose-lose outcome. But you'd like to think that they've cleared the air this week. I know that uh, Brad Arthur gave them the extra day or two off with a chance to go out and mentally uh, reset themselves. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk from the... I know there was a lot of talk last week. But there's a lot of talk this week about the players taking responsibility for their actions on the field. And that's been something that we've preached on the podcast too. Uh, as much as we've criticised the defensive structures the coaches have installed... Uh, for being maybe outdated or, or at least vulnerable to the good teams to pick apart. The players themselves have also let the team down and themselves down with their execution on just fundamental football, right? So What we saw last week, and they uh, highlighted it, and I'm going to refer back to the Matty John show last night when they were talking with, I think it was George Burgess. Yes, it was George, I believe, yeah. Yeah. So when they were talking with George Burgess and and looking at the game, this weekend, they threw up the highlights of all the drop ball from the Eels from the last game against Manly, just the cold drops, mm-hmm. and it was ugly, and it was reminiscent a little bit of 2018 where the players, when they dropped it, they had this look on their face like, I don't believe I'm doing this, or there were moments when they're looking around at each other uh, like, how did this happen? Um, and you you just feel that uh, insecurity, the lack of self-belief, and you can also see that those errors have come about, well, quite a few of them, from the hesitancy, that everything looks as if it's not natural at the moment. And Parramatta have a, and there's a a lot of criticism about playing this style of football and people are, are being critical and saying it's hard to maintain for an entire season. But their best form of football is one that goes for high energy aggression and laying a strong platform through the forwards and building your attack off that. Building your attack through maintaining pressure, maintaining composure when you when you've got good field position. And maybe the maybe the problem is still that mental issue that maintaining composure when it's not quite going the way that you want is hard for them over an 80 minute period or hard for them over the course of a season. But you know what? If you want to be a winning team, regardless of the type of football that you're going to play, you have to maintain a mental strength for the course of a season. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's been that's probably been the biggest disappointment is that we thought that the playing group and the club in general was beyond this sort of collapse. Like you can have a you can lose back to back games, it happens. But to have this kind of slide uh, was been very frustrating for everyone. You know, obviously internally they'd be absolutely, you know, fuming at themselves for squandering some prime opportunities to, you know, to beat the Roosters, to beat the Raiders, uh, the South Sydney game 
should have been a lot closer. And then may, may, maybe even in form, may, maybe Manly still put a good score on us because they're red hot. And, you know, Tom Tobojevic is an incredible touch. But that still should have been closer. So, yeah, th- this is this is the sort of the game within the game here for Parramatta is just getting, stop tripping over their own feet, you know, stop getting in their own way and just give themselves opportunities to compete because that that's the thing is they're not even getting to a point where they can compete recently because they keep stumbling and dropping the ball and, and just having these lapses in concentration that lead to a complete glut of possession for the opposition. So just get, you know, put yourself in the contest and then a lot of, it, you know, a lot of other, everything else sort of starts to figure itself out. We know that the Eels perform best when they are first on the board. That's That goes without saying. Yeah. However, a game of football, you can't rely that you're going to be the first to score. And I really, in retrospect, and I, I really didn't feel this at the time. And I'm sorry, I mean, I, I felt this at the time. But that game against Canberra was not as awful as what a lot of people believed. I, and just to clarify what I mean by that was that Parramatta didn't play well in that. They didn't, but that is from the point of view of they didn't execute well. I thought the effort area, the effort was still strong. And I thought the, for the most part, the defence was still very strong. However, and they, and Canberra got that first score and Parramatta very gradually was able to grind their way back into the game. And if they took advantage of the op- of the scoring opportunities that they had, not just towards the end, but also at the start of the game, they would have eked out a win. And it mightn't been the flashiest win, but you, you also don't know what sort of level of confidence might have come from icing a few scoring opportunities. And it felt like, however, that that Canberra game was the catalyst for this downhill slide, that something mentally went uh, astray as a consequence of that game, whether it be that they were listening to the critics, the media critics out there who were saying we weren't playing the right brand of football because we weren't in with all flair and attack, and then you saw them come out and try to play the sort of football they did from the opening whistle against the Roosters, and we know what happened as a consequence of that, and then it's like everything snowballed since then. Yeah, and things things definitely compounded on themselves and, and into other matters too. So, yeah, I mean, just fun, it, it's fundamental things. And obviously there is far more advanced concepts too, especially defensively, that the Eels need to be brushed up on in order to, if they're going to make a serious tilt into the postseason. But for the now, you know, it's just getting back to doing the basic stuff correct. You know, we're talking about moving the ball fluently and we're talking about, you know, regardless of, you know, the that, that whole jam slide principle that we've been using uh, to various effectiveness and especially not very effectively lately, there have been situations where we've been free on free, like where we, we couldn't even count the numbers and execute the tackles correctly. And that's, you know, once again, football one-on-one, just tidy that stuff up. You know, if you stop hemorrhaging the line breaks and the possession uh, blowouts, you're going to have a real chance of winning the game, especially against a team like the Cowboys. So let me ask you this question then. What type of football would you like to see the Eels playing this week? Well, it starts in the ruck, and that's where a lot of the games are being lost, uh, except maybe that Canberra game where Canberra played incredibly physical, but you know we, we matched them there, and it was more on that execution in the red zone. 
But uh, you want to see the forwards hunting as a pack. You know, one out football. It's when when you have momentum and you, you're going bang 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 across the advantage line. It's fine to be one out because you're, you know, you're absolutely ramming into a, a staggered defensive line or a retreating defensive line. And that's fine. But you know, we got to be working together. So you want to see guys running off Papali'i and Junior Paulo, as well as the edge the edge back rollers and not letting them be picked off in dominant tackles by you know two or three men from the defensive line. Oh. So basically, we want to see players pushing up in support for whoever's carrying the ball. Yeah, and I mean, that—that that is the sort of the calling card of a confident team and a team that is playing for each other is that, you know, support play aspect of the game. Uh, but beyond that, I'd like to see us move the ball to the edges uh, without the clunkiness, obviously. But And also, and also just give Wanga Blake and Will Penasini some early shots. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a complex move. Just give them some early ball. Let them get, you know, one-on-one or two-on-two with the, the winger centre pairings and see what they can do. And we saw against Canberra that Will Penasini, you know, can more than hold his own in those situations. He nearly scored. Uh, he nearly set up a try for Ferguson that he, you know, he could have done it himself and, and probably scored. Uh, beyond that, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to see, I'd like to see us do something a little bit different with Quentin Gufferson. I feel like he, whether it's uh, offensive scheming or he's, I mean, maybe if he's carrying an injury, that's a different matter, but if it's offensive scheming, he's been, you know, a complete non-factor. So I'd like to see him, things change up a little bit, whether it means using him more as a classic, you know, uh, backup fullback, you know, or not backup replacement level, but, you know, backing up through the middle and then letting our house play a little bit wider and using the speed of Moses and, and Dylan uh, in those sort of post-up opportunities. So I'd, I'd like to see us do those sort of things, just a little bit, nothing ridiculous, but just a little bit different for what we've been doing. Yeah, I've said this and I've been banging on about it for the last few weeks is that I'd like to see Gutherson return to his involvement around the ruck because... I'm just not seeing him involved around the ruck. I'm seeing him pushing up out wide when the ball's shifted wide, but I don't see him imposing himself around the ruck like he does when he's in his best form. And I think what that does is that starts to open up more opportunities for uh, Parramatta in, sorry, for the players out wide for Parramatta. If you've got the, defence retreating and not sure where you're going to throw your attack, then it's a lot harder for them to adjust their defensive line. But as things stand, there just isn't um, the usual patterns of of the eel structure that we've come to see in recent times. Um, look, even, even the um, changed lines of attack where we would see the eels punish in behind the ruck with some angled runs. And that's been... Uh, I, I've been looking at the shapes that we've been throwing, and people are critical and saying we just don't throw any shapes. Well, I, I certainly don't see anything now other than the block plays that we're throwing when the ball goes a little bit wider and run out uh, one-out plays around the ruck. But that's not the sort of football that they train for. They train for throwing different lines, different angles, um, punishing short, short in behind the ruck, drawing yeah. defensive, drawing that defensive line in, so that you can then earn um, or or threaten a little bit more when the ball goes wide. And again, I, I I come back to it's like they don't have the confidence 
to play their game. There is nothing about what Parramatta is playing at the moment that is the Parramatta style of football. There really isn't. So what I'm looking for this week is I'm looking for the the type of football, the type of structures that worked for the Eels at the start of the season. I don't know why we've drifted away from it. And I really don't believe that it is that it's um, a, an exhausting form of football to play for a season. I think the exhaustion comes mentally, and that's up for up to the players to be a little bit better mentally. Um, because, as I said, we're so far away from playing that brand of football where we ask more questions through the middle, and then that allows you to throw the ball out wider. And um, as I said, to that end, I'd like to see more from Gutho uh, pushing up around the middle. I'd like to see our dummy half, which is now Joey Lussick. And I had the same thoughts as well about Reed. I'd like to see the dummy half take the um, first receiver forward a little bit more. What I mean by that is if we've got the forwards hitting the ball up, or even if we've got the, uh, even if we're using some of the outside backs in an early early set rather than just a, a flat pass uh, sorry a pass to a player charging onto it take them forward with you the good a, a good dummy half doesn't just give that uh, just a snappy pass off the ground a good dummy half has maybe taken a few steps um forward not sideways forward and taking the taking the player up with them just mixing up their passes mm-hmm. um Mix it and and it, it. I'm talking about you know a short little snappy pass, just to the that engages different defenders. Whether it be the B defender or the C defender, um, if we're if we're just passing the ball out a little bit wide to someone that's hitting the ball up, uh, even if they're hitting the ball up strongly, it's it's still easier to read if you've got options or if you're taking the ball forward as a dummy half and you're engaging the uh, the A defender with taking the ball um, just, a, as I said, a few steps forward, and then you're offloading to the, the, the bloke that's taking the hit up. I just think it just adds a bit more variety to it. So, yeah, and um, it's those little things about adding variety and just, you know, those slightly different looks and, and foils to your offensive shapes that can go a long way when you're in these sort of funks. So I think that's a, a very uh, credible uh Point of difference seals can make on Saturday night, in in terms. And of- also, can I can I just ask as well then for you, John? As uh, this is a chicken and the egg question, because every part of a game of rugby league feeds into the next. So if the defence is off and you're having to do a lot more defence than you'd planned, or you're constantly backpedalling, that then starts to gas your attack. But likewise. If your attack isn't asking questions of the defence, it means that the defence, the opposition's got a lot more energy and they can pose more questions in attack, which then starts to drain your defence. So um, you get what? where do you think the Eels' greatest liability is at the moment or what aspect of the Eels' game do you think needs to be addressed first in this particular encounter, attack or defence? I'll, I'll say attack by way of just holding on to the ball and getting an even share of possession or something close to. Uh, and I'll, I'll say that's my, uh, I suppose, chicken. Uh, like, that's the one that comes first. 
well, I suppose you can argue, once again, the chicken and egg coming first, but we'll, we'll say that the chicken comes first in our metaphor here. And I'll say that, yeah, in attack, hold on to the ball, get to your sets, attend to your sets with the kick. And then I think that, well, it doesn't sort out the defense, but I think it takes some of the pressure off defensively. Yeah, look, I think that's a fair call. From my perspective, I've got two attitude, two opinions with regard to this um, when it comes to defence. First of all, you know I don't like the defensive system as it is. So let's say, and I don't think it's going to be the case, but let's say we go into this game with a different system. My attitude about defence is if you can't tackle, you shouldn't be in first grade. And if you are bouncing off players the way that it's, unfortunately, it's been happening, then there's individual accountability for that bouncing off tackles where you've got to, I mean, we we talk about it all the time. We bang on about it all the time, hit and stick. It's a simple, it's, it's it's a cliche, but it's something that every player should adhere to, hit and stick with your tackles. Now, if if the players individually are hitting and sticking, it starts to take a little bit of pressure off the the system itself, because as we know, Parramatta is not the only team that uses a compressed defence, and either this season or historically, a compressed defence is there. So it falls apart if players aren't doing their job. Now, I've said I believe it's the wrong system because it doesn't work for our team. So whether it be that something falls apart individually or collectively at some point in the line, it's just not being executed like a compressed defence should be executed. Mm-hmm. So it, that means it's wrong for our team because we haven't got the players that are capable or not so much capable, but it just doesn't work for our collective group of players uh, it, from a, it doesn't work consistently because you'll see times in the game where they execute it correctly and it completely suffocates. Yeah, uh, an that's a good call. Yeah, but, that's a good call. Doesn't but, work. Doesn't work consistently. But, and I think the, yeah, the everyone is, would agree that they see moments in games where the compressed defence works for this scenario. Now, yes. whether you have a combination of compressed and slide as the alternate that you go to. Um, or some other method, whatever that might be. I'm not a rugby league defensive coach. Um, I'm not all over the different systems, but if you maybe you have a combination of that, as teams do for different parts of the field, they might have compressed at one part of the field, slide at another part of the field. But whatever it is, the system isn't working for us. But I, I come back also to that individual accountability, that if you if you're making the tackles that you should make, then that goes a long way to easing that easing that pressure. But like you said just then, you can you can see last week and the week before that there was just such an awful funk about the Eels' attack, and I just felt that we were losing confidence as much from the attack as anything else. Mm. Yeah, and when we saw core players just having complete meltdowns. We saw Mitchell Moses with a number of errors in possession. We saw Nathan Brown. Uh, one was a, a terrible pass from Joe Lussick, but the other one was just a... I mean, and usually I'm the first one to call out a, a bad play from Sean Lane, but he did nothing wrong with a... It, it literally in the bucket pass to Brownie, who just completely goofed it up. So, uh, And on, on top of that, they weren't the only other players to have those errors, but just a number of 
once again, the core players is having complete brain fades in offense. And, yeah, and that really sets the tone. And, and the other thing, too, is obviously if you're kicking the ball to start the game, as teams will want to do when they win the coin toss, right, they'll, they'll kick and try and set the tone defensively. You can't be considering a penalty or a six again first possession. You've got to force the team to their first kick on that initial possession, on that initial set of six, and then and then get yourself into the arm wrestle. So that, that's got to be the the uh, tone, I think, to start this game. Yeah. So how do you see how do you see the North Queensland Cowboys playing this game? Are they go are they are they gonna go wide as often as they can? Are they are they going to look to explore the eels edges and um and if so um what's the scenario with the the hammer is he i is i don't know what, yeah, what the team mail is because the fact that his name would give an outside shot i'll see if i can quickly pull up the late mail here one second because the way the cowboy's been playing you'd feel like you'd feel like a lot of their most dangerous player will be coming through drink water who is a little bit streaky as a half, but he's got some uh, chops in terms of running the ball and being a threat with the ball in hand. Uh, so Hammer has trained, but we need a specialist clearance to be any chance of a late inclusion. Uh, Lolo also took part in the session, but was on a restrictive non-contact duties as he looks to overcome a broken hand. So they're, they're both outside shots, it looks like. Uh, pretty significant outside shots. So You'd suggest that they would be taking a risk with um Tomololo because him, if he's if he's non contact through the week and then don't get me wrong and he, and he's we've broken. seen plenty of training where there's non contact for a player and they turn out and, and they play but you just think to yourself there's a there is really a risk there they can't make the finals. No, and given that he's broken this hand at, uh, at least twice uh, because he's broken both hands and then did uh, re rebroke one of them, so uh, there there is clearly some structural issues with his bones at the moment that you don't want to be pressing, especially when they're not in contention for the top eight. They're, yeah, there's there's six or eight points adrift of the that really competitive logjam for the final spot in the top eight. You'd think that they'd be prioritising 2022 at least for Tamalolo and Hammett right now. Yeah, yeah. So, but do you do you see that the it's predictable that they're going to try to hit out wide as often. Well, yeah, as they- I think I think that primarily, if you're if you're looking who the key men are, you look at Scott Drinkwater and even Tom Dearden, who uh, has had a pretty horror run for a highly touted prospect from the Broncos and now the Cowboys. Uh, he's also capable of good moments, but he has a habit of Ben Robertson things, where he'll make something really good happen and then in the same line break drop the ball cold. So you got to at least respect his ability to run the ball. But yeah, you can definitely see the Cowboys adapting at least a little bit to uh, trying to attack our right edge in particular. And they're going to throw traffic at Hayes and, and Will Penasini and and uh, Murata, who's also playing on that edge this week. So it's going to be very interesting to see because Will, Will did not struggle defensively against Canberra. You know, he, he wasn't incredible, but he didn't struggle. He had a few missed tackles, but uh, the integrity of the line was in general pretty good in that game. We know that Murata is pretty competent defending on the edge, as we saw earlier this season when he was playing right centre. Uh, so between the two of them, maybe they can help shore up that edge and, and maybe there's an, an adaptation defensive philosophy as well. Maybe we'll see uh, just you know more man-to-man stuff on that edge instead of the aggressive jamming. So that, that remains to be seen. But you have to think the Cowboys, at least on their tip sheet, would be saying 
we got to get it down and, and, and down our left to attack Parramatta's right. Yeah, and we also know that when we've got someone like Murata named as an edge player, that he might still also become part of the middle rotation when you have Bryce Cartwright on the bench. That Cartwright comes. I mean, that, that's it's applicable to both our edge back roles at the moment, isn't it? Because Sean Lane can do the same, but we did see Lane play out uh, the game for 80 minutes last week, I believe, on the edge, because I'm trying to recall now. Now I've, I've, had, I've had a complete brain fade, so I feel like he played... Well, with Luke and Oregon Confuci for the the game, that was that was an issue, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, that, that was, no, hang on, that was the previous yeah, week, Yeah, Oggy was lost the first tackle of the South Sydney game and then did not yeah. play last week, so we saw Sean Lane push to the edge, where I'm just going to quickly check his minutes, because now I'm kind of curious to see what my memory was like. Because we also had Murata getting binned in that game, which uh, influenced uh, players' game time. But Sean, uh, yeah, that's, Sean, yeah, Lane, that's what Sean Lane played 48 minutes. There you go. So Bryce Cartwright would have rotated with him there. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see who Bryce tag teams uh, or tags in for in this game, given that uh, Murata has been entrusted to 80-minute performances probably more consistently than Sean Lane this year. So maybe they will just let Murata be the senior shepherd, you know, the the sort of Sherpa for Will Penasini on that right edge. And yeah, I'm I'm kind of curious to see how that right edge performs now because obviously last week horrible. Uh, Michael Oldfield having uh, one of the least memorable club debuts you're probably ever going to see. Uh, and then in general, the right edge is struggling outside of Oldfield. But uh, you know, Will Penasini, a player that we're all very interested in. You know, this goes beyond TCT, a player that all fans are very interested to see more of. Um, obviously highly touted, sort of considered a blue-chip prospect and and had a very strong debut against Canberra. So we're very keen to see what he can do. And also, we spoke about it last week, but seeing Murata on an edge, whether it was at centre or back row, it's something that we did want to see for him personally to maybe uh, help galvanise his return to his best because we know that he's a devastating player and maybe just getting out of the middle and out of that grind with a little bit uh, of more of a chance to find some of those one-on-one looks or, you know, one-two-one, three-to-three, sort of opportunities will help uh, bring out the best in his game. So for those people who were hoping for Murata to return to centre, they half got their wish, maybe? I mean, with Will, him Will, going Will to a- is a pretty great consolation prize. <laughs> That's a, and, and Will Penasini's inclusion in the team, I, I know there was uh, you know a lot of talk about Tom Opechik being down on form and, and with his personal matter away from the field, but it also turns out he banged up his ribs pretty badly and he's out for what looks to be... The remainder, three weeks. Yeah, the remainder of the regulation yeah. season. So, I mean, just on that, Reid Money, we know gone for the season. We know Reg is back for the finals. Uh, Blake Ferguson now due back for Melbourne, I believe, uh, with uh, uh, the possibility he's back for Penrith, uh, depending on, on how bad that calf plays up. But Nathaniel Roach downgraded to out for the season with knee bruising. So uh, there, there must be something more structural to that injury than just knee bruising, it feels like, because uh, bruising on the knee should not be that big, I mean, unless it's like bone bruising, maybe I, I, I don't know. You don't get detailed uh, synopsis from the injury reports, unfortunately. Uh, but unfortunately, lose we do lose Roach for the remainder of twenty twenty one. So, and unfortunately, I think for Nathaniel, that doesn't augur well for retention, does it? When you um... well, it came on a development deal, it's uh, it's tough because we know he's talented, but I, I, I can't think of a more cursed player uh, that you've seen recently. The poor no. man has had no luck, and I mean maybe, maybe Cameron King. Yeah, I mean Cameron King will be up there too because he he had those multiple knee injuries early on in his career, and much like 
Roach highly touted prospect out of their respective junior clubs, uh, the Dragons and the Warriors. But yeah, uh, I mean, maybe he ends up you know signing a value deal for the club at back end because we are short on hooker depth with the talk of Joey Lusick going back to the Super League. But there was also a little snippet yesterday in the paper saying that the Eels are engaging uh, Tom Starling uh, among, I think, two other clubs, including the Dragons and Newcastle, I want to say. So the Eels obviously cognizant of a, a lack of hooking depth at the moment and exploring options, but Roach could be part of the plan for 2022, but it's going to be, you know, on a, on a very modest deal if he's there. You'd have to wonder whether if they would use a development contract or whether they are prepared to offer him a second-tier deal and whether that's the sort of deal that he's prepared to True. remain in Australia for. So Yeah, and that, that's uh, a big thing for him too. Is, you know, you're away from New Zealand for the entire year now. Um, so if you've got a lot of family over there, you can understand. And what we saw with you know several Warriors players opting out now between obviously Roger going to Union but also leaving early and then uh, was it the, the one they signed from the Dragons? The big front rower. Mm. Uh, he also opted out. So you can understand the the emotional toll too. So I, there's a difficult decision for Nathaniel to make there for his, for what's best for him in his future. Yeah, and of course we don't know what the what the club's thoughts on this are going to be. We're just putting a bit of supposition yeah. in there. So let's look at um, broad matchups. How do you think the Eels pack, even allowing for the injuries, lines up? against the Cowboys pack? On paper, I like it. I mean, Junior Paulo, I think, is comfortably the best middle forward on that park from both teams uh, when he's in full form, obviously struggling for that at the moment. But um, on paper, he is easily the best middle there. Papa Lee, uh, you know, whether it's middle or edge, has been you know one of the best like forwards in general across the NRL this year. Um, he struggled for impact last week. But that was also symptomatic of the fact we didn't have the ball throughout his uh, first his first stint on the field. So is he? Um, just can I just interject there? Is he the your front runner for the Ken Thornett Medal this year? I'd have to think I'd so. I think he's, I think his only significant competition this year would have been Reed Marnie. But given that Reed has now had two extended layoffs, I don't think there's any real competition there. Um, Junior's fallen off uh, post Origin, which would have hurt his chances. Um, Reg with injuries. Reg, Reg with in, yep. yeah, Reg was the other one too, who's been outstanding and and didn't play Origin, which means he was in there for every game through that window until he got hurt. So yeah, Mitchell Moses getting hurt too has taken out the window of that sale. So I think he's probably the runaway favourite for the Ken Fournette, and deservedly, he's been uh, truly phenomenal for us throughout the entirety of twenty twenty one. But yeah, the Ford pack on paper, I feel like, I mean, we've got the better middles. Colin Hess has been uh, quite solid as a middle forward for the Cowboys. Um, and Ben Condon has had his um, moments as an edgebacker. Oh, he's a big, tall unit. But I think even with, you know, considering that Sean Lane isn't a first-choice edgeback role for us anymore, and, and well, Murata's interesting because he's not a first-choice edgeback role, but you could argue that maybe that is his best position, depending on what your stance is on his role in the team. But, yeah, I still think that on paper we've got a better forward pack. It's, it's just a matter of not crippling ourselves in those contests, not dropping the ball and, and falling off tackles the way we have been. One could argue that the Eels are playing five middle forwards as their pack. Yeah, there is definitely a case for that. 
Um, I think that Murata is probably agile enough to escape that tag, especially given that we, you know, entrusted him with the centre position against some good teams earlier in the year. Uh, but we, we we've seen Sean Lane play a lot of his better football in the middle than the edge more recently. Um, you know, twenty nineteen feels like a long time ago where he was part of that fantastic left edge with Michael Jennings, and we we saw you know that that double jam they used to do, which was like a bread and butter attacking strategy in the red zone that teams really struggled to contain. And we, we just don't see that anymore, which is maybe something we can revisit. Uh, that was a bread and butter uh, attacking play for us. That was like- oh mate, there's there's so many, there's so much of what was our bread and butter that is no longer visible mm-hmm. right at the moment. And I'm sh- I, this is the hard thing for me without being able to go and watch training is to see any difference between how they're preparing and and the way they're preparing to play and how Mm -hmm. they execute. Because I remember back in 2018, I'd go and watch training and then within a few minutes of the game starting, I'd be heading towards the fetal position (laughs) with, with just seeing the complete opposite happening out on the field. So um, I, I can't, I can't make any call. I can only have an assumption that, the shapes that they're throwing in attack are not the shapes that they're training to play and that they would be looking to play to their strengths, which is obviously the way they were playing at the start of the year. So yeah, you have to assume that something's going terribly wrong in the, in the minds of the players out there to, for it to not be executing. And again, I, I keep coming back to, I just think there's the, that lack of self belief and that self belief breed, uh, breeds the hesitancy. It's a, and it, it's I, a big I, and I guess if you've got a hesitancy in attack, it's just as bad to have the hesitancy in defence, isn't it? So, yeah. Well, it's like a like we said, we've said about it in, in 2018. I think it was, you know, you get that monk on your back and eventually gets as big as King Kong, and you know, yep. you got to just throw it off at some point. And that's the parameters. Oh, that's what Paramount has it as an opportunity this week. And last now, week, can I go? Can I? I've, we've just spoken about the pack. Can I get your thoughts on the spines and how they line up? Well, one, once again, on paper, even with even with uh, a lack of Marty, you feel like Parramatta are pretty, you know, comfortably ahead on points. Uh, Valentine Holmes, a huge name in the game, but he has not been anywhere near his best since returning from the NFL. Um, and so, even you know, if Quentin Gufferson struggling, you think that they're pretty close, you know, if not ahead. Uh, for Parramatta, so even if Valentine's playing good, you know it'd have to take a pretty bad game from Gufferson to give them the points there. In the halves, you'd think that Mitchell Moses is the best player among the four players by some margin. Um, Drinkwater capable of some good stuff, but Streaky didn't uh, definitely hasn't lived up to the hype and, and has quite an error in him. Um, and Dylan, you know, I, I know a lot of fans are frustrated with Dylan at the moment because he hasn't, you know, kicked on to be an, an NRL superstar uh, despite being you know twenty years old. At, at this point, and I think he brought up his 50th game uh, just recently, so I, I can understand the frustrations, but at the same time, I feel like the pairing of Brown, Brown and Moses is pretty comfortable ahead of Drinkwater and Dearden. The number nine is probably where you'd probably give the Cowboys a nod. Um, Reese Robson is a pretty handy number nine, and he loves having to go near the dump, near the try line, sorry, as well, and that's something he was going to have to be aware of when they're defending their line, is it? Because he will have a crack, and he, he's gotten over quite a few times this year. And you know, and that that's been a that's also a function of the fact that he is a, a first a first choice of front line dummy half, and Joey Lusick's a backup, so that's no slight on Joey. 
who did have a, an ordinary game last week, but we saw during his first stint in first grade, he was more than you know more than capable, and and you know perhaps more a reflection of the overall team's form more than anything else. Well, I don't think I don't think Joey Lutzig played his natural game last week. Mm-hmm. I I didn't see like he's I I was yet to see him deliver the level of passes. Uh, well, let me rephrase that. Last week, he his passing was at a le- so many levels below his best that it was it was horrendous. And I also didn't see him have the confidence to take the defence on. And he is someone that does like to have a bit of a dart and have a bit of a run. And it just wasn't. It just seemed like what BA had said the week before about the team being afraid of making mistakes and that seemed to be where his mindset was at but as we know the 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 funk in the team got worse uh, from a week where they were described as being afraid of making mistakes to a team that was quite prepared to make a, a, a countless run of errors so um, yeah, I, I just felt that he was, as you might have suggested, symptomatic of what was happening for the rest of the team. And then, you know, beyond the spine and the forward pack, I feel like in the back line, that's where we have some of our, our best or most informed players. Wanga Blake has been head and shoulders the most consistent player for us across this last month in, in sort of bizarro land. He's been really solid and has had some great attacking flair. And even if our wingers are problematic at the moment, Will Penasini is another one that I've got a lot of confidence in because he just brings enthusiasm and a directness to his play style that we're desperately lacking. So that's where I feel like the game can really be won with our centre pairing. Uh, but yeah, the, yeah. You, you can't you can't dismiss the Cowboys as much as they've struggled. You know the way we're playing, any team can really face up to us. I'm not going to criticise any supporter or tipster who decides to tip the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. However, I believe that if you are tipping the Cowboys, you are basing that on the level of Parramatta's performance last week compared to the overall performance of the Cowboys over a nine-week period. The Cowboys over a nine-week period have not been good. They haven't found a way to win. But the Eels last week just found new depths in their performance. Obviously, things looked even worse for that period of time where we were down to 11 players. But before that, there was nothing that was encouraging in any way, shape or form about how we were playing that game. But I think, yeah, I think we're basing it far more on Parramatta's uh, last one or two games than the Cowboys' runabouts if you're going to tip the Cowboys. Um, well, last week, speaking, I, speaking of that, last week we were, we, had, you know, we acknowledged the fact that the common sense tip would have been manly, but you know, optimistically you're back in the Eels to break that losing streak. This week I think it's a lot more credible to tip the Eels, right? Like you are saying, that you sort of you back Parramatta to at least grind out an ugly win at worst, if not maybe just you know hit the reset switch and get back to their best. Yeah. I'm going to tip the Eels. I'm not necessarily confident at tipping a scoreline or a margin, but I'm going to tip Parramatta to get a win 
forced to find a margin, I'll, su- I'll suggest 14 points. And as such, I'll go for a 28-14 victory. But that is placing faith that there's something that can gel a bit better this week in the Eels' attack for, for me to tip 28 points. After how many points have we scored in total? We even scored that in total over uh, the last four weeks. We have scored because that, that was another point that the media really, you know, twisted the knife in, understandably, because, you know, it's a, a, a very reasonable talking point is that we've scored uh, 10, 0, 12, and 10. So we scored 32, 32 over four, averaging eight points in that, uh, in that yeah. window. So it's less than ideal. That's not going to win you any yeah. games. Yeah, so there is nothing on the basis of current form that would allow me to tip 28 points scored by the Eels in this game. However, I'm looking at the opposition and saying if the Eels play as they should, and I'm saying as they should, then it's a case of those points should be there. But, you know... It's a headspace. There is a yep. real headspace issue. And if we can overcome that, and maybe it's as simple as getting a good start. Maybe a, a that, good that's start. Probably, that's probably the key to it is, is getting on the front foot and, and scoring that first try goes a long way towards securing the win. Um, I tipped earlier this week, I tipped a 24-8 to eight victory for Parramatta. Uh, sort of, I think that, because there's also an interesting philosophical talk on what's the best outcome for Parramatta here. You know, is putting 40 plus on the Cowboys really that beneficial to us? Given that you got the storm next week, you know, you, you know, you're not like you're going to overshoot expectations because of what's happened recently, but you know, maybe just a good, honest win might be the palate cleanser we need, but maybe also putting 40 or 50 on the Cowboys in, and sort of just completely freeing yourself of all the, the demons that have, you know, been occupying you is also equally uh, valid. So I don't know. I tip 24, eight, I feel like just, at least for me, getting a good defensive result on the scoreboard is big. Um, restricting them to 10 points or less would be really nice. And then, you know, going four-plus tries, it's just the... that That is what a good win, you know, when it, in any given round is, right? You get four-plus tries, opposition held to 10 or 12 or less. Um, single digits, ideally, is amazing. And, and that's what you'd take in any given week. So that's what I'm shooting for this week. Mate, as far as I'm concerned, a good win is going to be where Parramatta has more points on the scoreboard. Well, that, and than that, the that's, op- how, that's how we opened up this discussion, wasn't it? Is that uh, good wins aren't always, I mean, they're not always pretty, but every win's good, right? So that's true. If, if it comes down to a 13-12 to 12 win against the Cowboys, then so be it. You know, if it comes down to a, a 9-8 to eight win and, you know, it's a, a one try penalty on a field goal, I, I won't be particularly pleased about it aesthetically, but at least the team is back in the fight. So you take any result, but obviously, you know, you'd like a, a comfortable win, but yeah, you take any win at this point. And then just to give you something to build on heading towards the, the huge clash of Melbourne and then Penrith. Yeah, I'd take, no matter what the win is, and I wouldn't even be thinking about people that are saying, oh, this is going to give them a false sense of, like if they got a big win that it would give them a... a a false sense of um, where they're at. I think the Eels, I think the player. The think, issue is the players have no yeah, I don't belief think, in. Rap. I don't think so if they your, get any level of belief out of a win, that's a positive. Yeah, I don't think you can get your head over inflated at this point, given where they're coming from into this contest. 
Um, and especially since they know that uh, because of how Melbourne played against the Gold Coast, that they're going to be right up for this game regardless. Melbourne a little bit sloppy in the game against the Titans. Uh, gave the the uh, Sunshine team a, a real chance to steal one there. So they're going to be fired up against us regardless. So, yeah, you, if it ends up being a huge win for Parramatta, so what? But, yeah, I think that's where we'll um, tidy up our preview there. Let's move on, mate, because we've got uh, something cool to talk about as usual with our guest segment. Um, and I'll let you do the introduction. Well, John, this hasn't been the best of times for community rugby league and sport in general with COVID forcing the cancellation of competitions. But that said, there are terrific junior rugby league clubs in the Parramatta district who are going to be doing their utmost to get kids back into sport as soon as possible. And we're proud to be able to profile these great clubs and share their stories with you. And today we're speaking with the secretary of the Kellyville Bush Rangers, James Power. James, welcome to the tip sheet. Thanks for having me. Good to have you on board, mate. Yeah, James, let's just start at the beginning. When did the Kellyville Bush Rangers start? So the Kellyville Bush Rangers started, and it was actually uh, born out of one of our, what is now one of our rival clubs out of the Hills Bulls, uh, started as a Metropolitan Cup squad for Parramatta uh, way back in 1996. Last year, would uh, 2020, uh, we would have celebrated our 25th anniversary. Um, but then as a junior club, um, uh, you know, involving little kids playing, uh, we started that that side of the club actually started in 1998. Now you're actually and and quite literally neighbours with the Parramatta Reels now, given that you share the same space out at Kellyville uh, with the Blue and Gold. How's that working they, out? They share our space. Well, that, that that's true. <laughs> they, they've actually come into your joint and and you know said, okay, we're going to share the space with you. But how's that working out for you guys? Um, I oh, look, it's a work in progress. It's um, where you know trying to find our way. Um, this year was was sort of the first year, or sorry, second year technically that they'd moved in, but uh, there was a bit more restrictions on us this year in terms of space that we could use because of all the development of Kellyville Park as a whole. It's um, um, it's an exciting project, obviously, for us as a club, but also for, for Parramatta as a, as a as a, a an NRL club. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you have your ups and downs and it's a, it's at the moment we're both still trying to sort of feel our way through and and iron, iron out some niggles and and some you know little bits and pieces that crop up but um, when it's all said and done hopefully uh, things will smooth out pretty quickly when all the all the fields are finished and that sort of thing we were restricted this year to one field uh, which is hard when you're a club that's growing. Um, but uh, we, we managed to work a way of getting through that and, and getting through the season, obviously, before COVID hit. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, um, it's a work in progress, the relationship, that's for sure. So just on that, you, you mentioned about the, uh, the size of the, uh, of the club. What is the current number of uh, teams and uh, junior players that you, uh, had, that you fielded this year? So 2021 was the biggest we've ever been. Uh, we had 406 registered players supported by 113 coaches, managers and trainers across 27 teams. So the previous record for our club was in 2012, which also happened to be the first year I actually was part of Kellyville. Um, we only had 23 teams back then. We've got, we went through a bit of a lull in between and, um, and, and, and our numbers dropped off significantly as one of our neighbouring clubs grew and uh, 
we've worked back to where we are today. So, uh, and and I dare say that Parramatta moving in has probably uh, been a significant tr- contributor to that growth. Uh, but at the same time, we've also, um, you know, improved our processes and improved our our image of the club and all that sort of stuff to um, to to support the players coming on board and whatnot. So that that's been a contributing factor as well. You mentioned in in the introduction the origin of the Bush Rangers, and then you just yep. mentioned that there's over 400 registered players as of 2021, which is a fantastic milestone. Yep. Can you talk to about talk to us about the story of the Kellyville Bush Rangers growth between those two uh, post markers, I suppose? Yeah. So um, 2012, as I said, we were at 23 teams. Then uh, the next year, there was a pretty significant um, exodus from the club, where we where we reduced down to literally we reduced down to nine teams. Um, uh, not being on the committee at that point in time, I, I didn't know the ins and outs completely. Um, but, uh, you know, as we shrunk, uh, our neighbours, Rouse Hill Rhinos, grew considerably at the time um, and other clubs around us obviously grew as a result as well. Um, so we, so for a number of years there, we we uh, we battled and we, 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 you know, we worked our way through uh, you know all that sort of stuff. We we had a core group of loyal players that stuck with us in that in those nine teams, and and uh, continued to sort of work on strategies on how to improve that and uh, and increase our numbers and whatnot. And look, 2020, 2019, we'd grown to to decent levels uh, um, uh, during that that period as well. And then obviously, twenty one, we we sort of boomed a little bit more and. Um, but we've also explored different ways of growth. Um, uh, you know, we we did uh, we did explore the possibility. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't work out for us. But we did explore um, Try Time Rugby League uh, with our friends from Wentworthville. They assisted us in trying to launch a program a few years back. Uh, this year, we were actually excited to be uh, entering into wheelchair rugby league out out of Windsor. Um, so that that would have been another. Uh, Feather in our cap, uh, we we claim our club is the is everyone's club, and and having a diverse sort of um, range of possibilities of playing rugby league um, sort of suits that mantra quite well for us. But our our girls program has been a massive massive um, there's been a massive influx in the girls program, and that's been a, a major contributor to our growth as well. So. Uh, well, that, that actually leads us in nicely to the um, uh, what I wanted to explore next, which was that female participation, uh, because it is, you mentioned it's a significant focus for the club. Can you uh, tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so um, way back when, I think it was probably about 2011, 2010, uh, um, the dates are a little bit fuzzy on this, but uh, Kellyville was one of the first clubs to feature an all-girls team in the boys' competition in the under-sixes. They were known as the Princesses of Rugby League. Uh, they all wore pink jerseys and everything else. Then uh, over the years, nothing sort of – I mean, we'd get a, a girl here or there playing for us, but then uh, we had a couple of girls uh, finish up. At the rules of rugby league, girls can't play in the boys' competition – can only play in the sort of combined competitions up to the age of under under-12s. Once they turn under 13s, they can't go anywhere unless they go into girl-specific programs or competitions. So, so we uh, we we bit the bullet. Uh, we had a couple of girls in our under 12s a few years back and bit the bullet and said, well, "Let's try and build a girls team around these two girls, two girls in particular." 
and um, they went on a rampage on social media and started recruiting. So we started with one girls' team. The next year we grew that to a, a couple more girls' team. Uh, we won the under-16 silver division last year, uh, and then this year we blew out to um, to five teams overall in the girls' space. So uh, we had 98 female players this year registered with us, uh, whereas last year we only had 40. So um, two two in the under-14s, two in the under-16s, one in the under-18s, and then a, and then there's a sprinkling of uh, of girls uh, from the under-6s through to under-12s still uh, coming through. So and and the quality of some of these girls is unbelievable. They, they, they don't have the fear that, um, of contact or anything like that. So it's unbelievable football to watch, and it's been awesome to be a part of it. So uh, there's a couple of clubs in the para district that are at the forefront of that, and we're trying to to be one of those clubs at the forefront of the girls' movement, particularly with NRL women being announced, uh, with Parramatta being announced mm-hmm. as a club. It's a, an exciting addition to. To that pathway, our, our our program is overrun by, overseen by um, Joey Grimer. He um, he he oversees it as a co- uh, he coaches our coaches to coach the girls, um, and that's a that's an exciting addition for us as well to it's have a, that coach running the uh, overseeing the program as a whole. Given what a rich tapestry the NRLW and and the pathways to that competition are becoming for the game, it's always cool to see those threads, the individual threads. You know, from the club level going up and, and seeing where the girls came from. So well done, the yeah. level in that regard. Yeah, yeah, we we we've got plans for the future that we want to um, we we want to be one of the sort of major contributing clubs to NRL women at Parramatta. Um, it helps that we're right on the doorstep, obviously. Um, but you know, you've got to you've got to establish those pathways before you can get there, and and we're we're we're, we're well underway. I mean. Uh, All Saints Team Gabby is another club that's at the forefront of the the women's movement, and um, and and Mounties as well. We're we're trying to to get up there with those two clubs as well, and and be the the driving force of that program. And I don't think you could have a better bloke than Joey Grimer involved in that. He's a very good friend of the Cumberland Throw and the, and our podcast. And um, yeah, it's great to see that he's involved with the club. Well, Joey's a legend, and uh, <laughs> and. Uh, yeah. He's an absolute legend of a bloke, and um, you know we're proud to have him. His daughter plays for us, so we're proud to have him on board. And and obviously we don't, you know, we we don't sort of take it for granted that he is involved in helping us out where he can. Um, you know, it's, it, he doesn't have to, uh, but but we certainly appreciate him jumping on board and helping us out. The entire process of teaching these young boys and girls rugby league and then developing them into you know as high level players as possible must be entire must be greatly rewarding in and of itself. But the entire process of seeing them make friends and and stay healthy must be a huge part of that as well. Oh, a hundred percent. You know, it's always nice to see kids develop and grow and become representative footballers and you know hopefully get up to NRL level, but. The satisfaction I personally get for you know being involved at, at my level is is just seeing kids get out and having fun with mates. Um, you know, uh, kids have far too many distractions in terms of social media and yeah. computer games and all that sort of stuff. So seeing kids getting out there, getting active, and, and doing what we did as kids—that um, that's what I enjoy the most. You know, premierships and all that 
you know, it doesn't, well, they're nice. It's not the be all and end all from my point of view. It's, it's about them having fun and enjoying and, and developing um, the, the skills of rugby league. And hopefully, you know, you, you get the odd player here or there that does go on. I mean, we've been lucky to have a couple over the years that have made it to NRL level, um, not necessarily had played their whole career with us, but uh, certainly started with us or, or joined us at some point. And, and um, you know, you know, hopefully one day we'll see a few more. Well, you mentioned before about how important it is that you're representing the entire community. So can you talk to us a little bit about how the community and families that make up your club are important to you? Oh, look, our club runs on uh, on um, on a volunteer basis, right? So the, the the families and the community that we that we're involved with they they all contribute to that. Uh, they all contribute to the success of our club. Um, we've got a fairly diverse um, uh, player base or family base. Um, you know, we've got uh, children of subcontinental backgrounds we've got middle eastern background we've got islander background um we've got, you know aboriginal background um so we've got a quite a diverse group of, of players and and officials in the club and they all contribute to the success of our club in in that we you know we do family events we do um you know anzac day this year we set up a screen at the field and and did our own anzac day um uh, you know uh, Tribute and barbecue and things like that, and watch the ceremony, uh, the you know the uh, the ceremony on TV and things like that. As a community, we 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 all chip in to help each other to to make sure our kids are enjoying the game that they all love, and that's and that's a big part of, of um, why I do what I do and why our committee does what they do. Um, we we love that aspect of it. We'd, we're uh, we we talk about being everyone's club, and that's that's what we that's our motto. And um, you know, a big part of our culture this over the last few years has been focused around family as a whole. So um, so yeah, that's you know that's what that's what we try to achieve. And like I said, premierships and all that are great, and they 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 come and they go, and they will come you know in the future. But as long as we're getting people that are buying into that that family first culture that we've been cultivating that's that's the end game for us that's what we're we're hoping that um we can continue to maintain over the years does that make sense yeah absolutely yeah and just on that james some of our listeners may have heard of oscar's day can you give us all a reminder of the importance of the day yeah so oscar's day is an annual memorial day we hold for a a, a, a former bush ranger um, oscar bahaja who passed away from neuroblastoma at the age of uh, six back in 2010. 2021 would have been the 12th year that we that we uh, celebrated Oscar's life on Oscar's Day. And we, we used the day to uh, raise funds for Kids Cancer Project, um, uh, you know, obviously a very important cancer uh, charity for, uh, that focuses on children's cancer. Over the years, the Bush Rangers and the Bahaja family, who are very, very active in our club, they've raised in excess of 120,000 for those for children's. Uh, Oscar was diagnosed. Oscar was was, and we're not sure if it still is the case, but at the time, Oscar was the only person known to have been participating in the NRL 
or from uh, from grassroots to NRL playing with active cancer and during chemo treatment. So um, uh, very, um, uh, you know, very important person to our club's mm-hmm. history. And, um, you know, our president, it's a, it was our president's son, um, Jane, his mum has been a massive contributor to our um, to our um, committee over the years and is on the committee still. So very important day to the club and, you know, it's it's a touching day. We do a bit of a tribute usually before uh, sorry before Oscar's brother or sister play on the day. Parramatta Juniors thankfully support us in making sure. In previous years, have made sure that we've had all our teams play on the day there. A little bit harder now with so many teams, but um, they they try to support us as much as we can in making sure that we get a full day of activity there. We normally have rides and stuff as well, which we're all. Oscar's favourite things to do. So, yeah, massive day for us and um, one that uh, a proud tradition that will continue to go forth going through the years as we, as you know, some of us leave the greener pastures and, and new committees take over. I'm, I'm certain the club will continue to maintain that. Uh, this is probably a really tough question. But yeah. if I asked you to nominate one aspect of the club that you're the proudest of, what would that be? For me personally, um, just re- uh, getting the club to rebound from where it was to, uh, you know, at the time where I sort of stepped in uh, and getting it to where it is now, that's been a, a major, you know, a major thing for me personally. I'm very proud of the effort. You know, we've, there's been a core group of people over the last 10 years that have managed to to get the club to where it is today. Um as I said, the Bahajas uh, are the significant contributors to that um, and big supporters for me. You know, like, uh, as a secretary, you know, the secretary does a, uh, does a lot of work and um, and sometimes, uh, you know, you tend to break down at times and go, hey, guys, I need some help. And I've been thankful um, that I've had plenty of support, not just from the Bahajas, going back um you know, there's been plenty of people over the years in the club um, that have helped out in various ways. And going back to John O'Black and 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 James Berry, some other people that have contributed over that time, they've all helped and got us to where we are. So that's uh, that is a major part of uh, of my pride. Club is that in that time we we yes there was a you know the club shrunk to what it was and we've managed to turn it around and build it back to where it is. You know, the, the association with Parramatta now, with Kellyville Park becoming the the um, the, the the precinct for the Parramatta NRL, and that, that's another part that I'm uh, fairly proud of. I mean, I've played a small part in the, that process, but um, there's been others that have played a bigger part, but I'm proud of that. And the girls' program, that's, that's a massive... Um, a, a massive achievement for the club. I'm very, very proud of that as well. Um, that we've managed to get that up and running, and it's grown to what it is. And, and hopefully, we can continue to grow that and and develop that and and turn it into something bigger than it is currently. Um, but overall, proud of every single kid that's ever played and worn the jersey. Um, they're the you know, like I said before, the the getting to watch those kids participate and. And go out and do things. Go go out and do it with their mates. 
you know, whether they come last or whether they come first. I've got a, there's a team in our club that haven't won a game for two years and they, you watch them and they still play for their mates. They put in, they work hard for each other and um, they turn up to training. That, that epitomises why I enjoy the game. They're turning up for each other just to be there with their mates and helping each other out. They, you know, and, and and they continue to turn up and they continue to train and they all do. They do it with a smile on their face. Yes, they're disappointed when they come but at the end of a game, but um, but they still turn up and they still do it with a smile when they when they're working hard and and that that that's brilliant for me. So that's what I'm probably the biggest part. The, the, seeing the kids play the game. And that's probably a, a terrific thing for the kids to take out of it as well. It's a that's almost like a, a great life lesson. Hundred mm. uh, percent. You know, it, uh, like I said before, I, you know, great. But no one remembers that you won the under nines. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, yes, remember it in your own head that you know I was a premier in under nines. But, but you're not going to remember the fact that you, you know. Timmy Smith scored a try in the corner in the in the thirty fourth minute. You're going to remember that you and your mates did it together. Yeah, that, you know that whole journey itself is the the important that, part. Exactly right. You know, um, I've been a manager of a team for ten years as well within the club. We've been we won one grand final. And we lost the grand final last year, and it wasn't so much the results; it was the journey. Um, and and I'm pretty sure the kids get that out. That's why. That core group that stayed stuck with the club back in 2013 when we shrunk to those nine teams, uh, many of them are still playing. There's many that still aren't, but there's still a, 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 a good group that are still playing today for our club. Um, and they they do it because they enjoy the mateship, they enjoy the camaraderie, they do it because that's what they love to do. Now, this is a question that I hate to ask because it, it comes from a situation that's out of everyone's control. Uh, but yeah. COVID has obviously been a challenge for all. Um, oh, 100%. It's now going on two years of disruptions for businesses small and large, including clubs like the Kellyville Bush Rangers. Uh, would it be fair to say that 2021 was the toughest challenge uh, to date for the club to overcome? Oh, 100%. Um, COVID is just – look, um, 21 as a, as a season was, was always challenging – was going to be challenging anyway. The, 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 the growth that we had – the fact that we were limited to one field. Um, uh, previously at Kellyville Park, we've never had to shut training down for weeks before the season so they could oversow the grass. They had to do that this year. So we had to rely on the support of another club um, to use their ground to train. Um, so that was that were already challenges we'd already had to overcome. And then COVID hit. Um, very frustrating. Um not so much. I mean, it's not so much frustrating for me. I, I, what frustrates me the most is that I don't get to go out and watch the kids play footy every weekend, and the kids are missing out. And you know, uh, we're all cooped up and locked in our houses and whatnot. Kids aren't getting out there, getting that exercise and getting that social interaction and all that sort of stuff. It, 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 that's what I struggle with the most is that they're not getting to do that. And you know, I, I, there's been no decision from Parramatta as yet as to what's going to happen in terms of competition and all that sort of stuff, whether there's going to be premierships awarded and all that. To be, to be honest, from my point of view, this is only my personal point of view, couldn't care less. I just wish the kids got to finish their season and keep playing footy. That's a great answer. So, the yeah, it's it's been tough from that point of view. 
Um, but, you know, I've, uh, holistically, from a club point of view, 21 was already a tough year. <laughs> this just compounded it. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that I'm complaining that it was a tough year, if you get what I mean. But no, no, but that, that's the facts <laughs> of the matter, right? You had explosive growth, you had, yeah, had some logistical that, issues, and then COVID was on top of all that. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. James, what other challenges do you face as a club each season? Yes, um, every season uh, presents new challenges, but uh, one of the key ones, uh, and any sporting club and will attest to, to it, uh, volunteers is always a, a bit of a challenge at times. We're lucky in that we have a core group of volunteers that, um, that contribute significantly. Um, the hardest part is probably getting... Uh, people to step into important roles like ground manager, or, or getting a few people to help out in the canteen. They're they're, they're sometimes the the harder challenges, but for the most part, um, our our club is very volunteer based, and 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 for the most part, we get plenty of volunteers to help out. Um, as I said, off offline, sometimes you do get a little bit of a, of a oh, it's always me that's got to do it, but um, but you know. The, the 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 pros of doing what you do outweigh the negatives of what you do if you get what I mean so um, so sometimes that frustration is really just frustration and nothing more to it um, but yeah like I said as a club we're very lucky in that our volunteer base is is usually pretty good and we can get um, you never have a shortage of getting coaches and things like that to to volunteer so that's probably the biggest challenge for most clubs. Um, yeah, and then obviously uh, other, you know, little bits and pieces here and there throw up a, a curveball every now and then, but you, you deal with it and you move on and you, you continue to do it because you love it. And while we all know that volunteers are the lifeblood of junior rugby league clubs, when you've got over 400 registered players, uh, you need assistance in all forms. So what assistance do the Kelly Bush Rangers get to help make their ends meet, James? Yeah, look, we're 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 lucky that we've we've had a couple of committee members um, that were really focused on driving our sponsorship for twenty twenty one. We got uh, some major sponsors: Sunny Day Carers, Coral Bay, BB Surgicals, who contribute um, financially to the to the success of our club. We were lucky enough that at the end of twenty twenty, uh, Parramatta Leagues, uh, Parramatta Leagues Club, and the Parramatta Juniors. Um, heavily subsidised, or actually they didn't subsidise, they waived our fees for 2020, which contributed to uh, ensuring that our junior clubs still had uh, cash in the bank ready for 21. Um, so we thank them for that, obviously, because that's a that's a major boost for all our clubs. Um, but, uh, yeah, so uh, in terms of our club specifically, um, our, our sponsors are, are our lifeblood. They, prov- they provide us with... Um, Support so that we can update resources and whatnot. Um, you know, we were, I mean, we're, we're, we're lucky. We've had long-term sponsors. Uh, Gabs Antennas, for example, they've been sponsors for 10-plus years, you know. So we're, we've been very lucky. And that's just one of the dads within our club who contributes as a trainer, as a coach, and, and everything else as well. So we're, we've been very lucky in that regard, and they contribute significantly to make sure that we can keep providing our kids with the best of you know, the training shirts and making sure they've got, you know, hip pads and all that sort of stuff. That that all contributes significantly. So, James, if there's anyone out there who'd be interested in getting involved with the club, be it playing, coaching, sponsoring or helping out in some way, and and obviously we all need the junior clubs to bounce back when we eventually get out of this uh, impacts of COVID, 
how can they get in touch or, or, or let you know that they'd like to be involved? Uh, there's a couple of ways they could do that. They can contact me on my phone, 0457 702015, or email me at secretary at They can contact us via our website, www.thebushrangers.com.au, or they can hit us up via our Facebook page or Instagram pages. Uh, just search Kellyville Bush Rangers, you'll find us on there. Um, always looking for volunteers. Uh, happy to. Um, to take on anyone who's willing to help out. Obviously, we've got to do our, our due, due diligence test, uh, checks. Um, but always looking for players as well. Uh, you know, like I said, I mean, I can't say it enough. We're a family club. That's the type of um, atmosphere we try to, to, to keep going. And um, so always happy to talk to new players or, or, or players looking for a new, a new start somewhere else. Obviously, uh, transfer rules come into play there, and that that can sometimes hinder us. <laughs> but, but yeah, um, particularly particularly in our girls' side of things, um, that's you know that's a that's a big area where look we we will continue to focus on going forward. Um, so yeah, they're the easiest ways to contact us. Usually, this is the point where I'd be plugging someone's social details, but you've done such a fantastic job of the um, self promotion <laughs> already, James. Yeah, well, I, yeah. I, but it wasn't which part you wanted me to include, so I just thought I'd cover it up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if you if you have a young boy or a young girl that's interested in playing rugby league and you're out in Kelly Way, be sure to look at the Bush Rangers. If you want to support them financially, uh, you can get involved as a sponsor or, like James said, if you want to be involved as a trainer or as a coach, you can get in touch with them and go through the accreditation processes. It is worth mentioning that the Bush Rangers are part of the Blue Shield program and the Good Sports Clubs, so they're a highly accredited club and have done fantastic work in their due diligence and good management to, to position themselves as one of the foremost clubs in junior rugby league. So yeah, get on it. Yeah. Thanks for that. Appreciate it. And I think that'll just about do us for another edition of the tip sheet, mate. Uh, always a pleasure to talk and talk and talk, which seems to be the motif for us a lot is our, our incredible ability to uh, chew the fat and, and talk the shit. So we uh, managed to get through a solid 40, 50 minutes preview in the game and then had that wonderful talk with James of the Kellyville Bush Rangers. Yeah, mate, our thanks to James for joining us. That's the first of our chats with a dedicated junior rugby league club in the Parramatta district, and we'll be bringing you more of those going all the way through to the start of next season. We'll be profiling and telling the story of junior rugby league clubs in the Parramatta junior rugby league system so um our thanks there to as we said to james and the kellyville bush rangers fingers crossed that our eels bounce back this week and that our instant reaction podcast is one of pure joy this saturday night. it'd be nice to do that because we haven't shirked our responsibilities in the back of some absolutely horrific losses it'd be nice to just get online after one of these good wins and and celebrate and, you know, within reason too, we're not going to go out there and say, you know what, lock us in for the premiership again. But, yeah, let, let's turn things around this week with a good win over the Cowboys. And, yeah, and be able to start enjoying our football again because I know it's been pretty miserable for fans everywhere. We've we've bore the brunt of it online a little bit. Um, I know people uh, like to come to us and, and tell us that we're too optimistic at times and don't criticise enough. And, I mean, to, to an extent that's sometimes fair, but I feel like we've been fairly uh, reasonable for our... Uh, not not the platitudes, but also calling out people during this slump. So it would be nice to be able to celebrate a victory this week, mate. Mate, I think if anything, we are always 
aim to be honest in our assessments whilst remembering that we are eel supporters and mm -hmm. i think the majority of our followers out there appreciate that that's exactly what our our goal is is to always remember that we are Parramatta eel supporters and um and you know what i think that's a, always a good place to start when you're looking at producing content about the team that you love yeah exactly and i do want to shout out our community who in general has been really sold of their criticisms of the team you know it's it's been frustrating but you've been on on the level so uh thanks to that and like we said let's uh maybe kickstart something now and, and make a real run at this despite our uh, looming games of melbourne and penrith oh it sounds like sounds like the idea mate that's good it. stuff as always, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for listening. Um, join the conversation on TCT. Give us a like and a, a subscription on SoundCloud or Google Podcasts or Spot, sorry, Spotify or iTunes, if you so please. And otherwise, we'll catch you in the instant reaction. So stay safe, everyone. Thanks for coming. Cheers.